0: Hello and welcome to episode number 183 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me today are all of the bitches. This is the first of a two-part podcast episode series where all of us are together talking over each other and poor garlic knitter has to try to transcribe this mess. We are going to talk about a whole mess of things. We discuss what we're reading from really wonderful historicals to some seriously depressing anthologies. We talk about Felonious street sign theft, the sad absence of gargoyle hardness jokes, what not to do if you stumble into a polar bear's liver, and the way that mourning and funerary rites have changed over the years because our conversations wander all over the earth. This podcast episode is sponsored by Lexi Callahan, author of the sexy contemporary romance series The Self-Made Men, Southern Style. Set in New Orleans, all three books are available through Kindle Unlimited. Book three, The Fall of the Red Queen, has just been released. Red Hot Book says: if you like your heroines tough, sexy, and powerful, then Madeline will own you as easily as she owns Jared. The podcast transcript this week is sponsored by Jessica Corey, author of The Forbidden Wish, published by Penguin Young Readers, available in print and ebook. She is the most powerful Ginny of all. He is a boy from the streets. Their love will shake the world in this dazzling retelling of Aladdin like you've never imagined, available now. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. I am still enjoying a new album that she told me I should listen to, and she was totally right. I will have information about who this is and where you can buy it at the end of the podcast. But in the meantime... It's time for me, Carrie, redheaded girl, Amanda, and Elise, to talk a lot about many different things. And on with the podcast.
1: Okay, so we're here. Yay! Amanda, your headboard is super cute, by the way.
2: Check out my street sign.
1: Nice.
3: (laughs) My
2: father and my brother stole it in the middle of the night because I wanted it for Christmas. And so they took it.
4: So they took it and you transported it across state lines?
1: Yes, I did. I'm pretty sure that's a felony. (laughs) And and that's also the most northern Florida thing I've ever heard.
2: (laughs) And they still haven't replaced the street sign. Has anyone died on the
1: so-called dangerous curve or do enough people know it's there?
2: (laughs) Enough people know it's there. It's like a backwoodsy dirt road. So people who have lived there have lived there forever.
5: I feel like this is the start of like a teenage horror film (laughs) where like, your amanda will be haunted for the rest of her days by the deaths of people because she selfishly wanted a street sign
1: ghostly phantom traffic cops come find her and try to write tickets but they can't reach her through the through the veil so just so it's easier on poor garlic knitter and everyone else who's listening can you go around and introduce yourself starting with carrie we could go actually no let's go in alphabetical order so amanda i feel like i went first last time okay so you go last
4: hi this is redheaded girl um it's early enough in the day that i do not have beer this time so this is a sober podcast for me boring
1: go get a beer
4: no also i don't have any it's elise
5: i did pour myself a glass of wine at 10 30 this morning cheers <laughs> yeah, yeah. was it that kind of a work day off where you had work <laughs> calling you at 10 30 it was. And I'm also like in that weird kind of in-between pain where I'm like, I could take a pain pill or two leave and some wine, right? So like, Aleve how... and some wine. Totally. Exactly. Exactly. Right, I'm exactly. self-medicating heavily. Although I would be willing to put up a,
1: um, a fundraiser for some cause in the future. And the prize will be all of us either on narcotics or intoxicated or both recording <laughs> a podcast. Like, <laughs> yes, I'll yeah. take my maximum two Percocet. My p- pupils will be huge. At least I'll have some nice Vicodin or Redheaded Girl. You're going to bust out the laudanum
5: and then we'll press record. It'll be awesome. And we'll just get Carrie like hyper caffeinated.
3: Well, no, I've got my Norco.
5: I mean, the there only- we go. Norco
1: oh, yeah. Is-
3: the Norco is really not very entertaining because nothing happens nothing happens and then an hour later all of a sudden I just go funk <laughs> so except for that brief moment of of you know hilarity when my head actually hits the keyboard you're not going to get like the full stone effect. Ooh, theraflu theraflu might do it that would be good
1: yeah is it norco the thing you cook in in wisconsin nesco what? nesco, nesco. <laughs> oh so you can't swallow that
3: well, no yeah. wonder they're so calm in Wisconsin.
1: They're cooking <laughs> with Norco. <laughs> exactly. We um over the weekend we watched The Martian with the kids, and there's that section where he crushes Vicodin and dips his potato yeah. in it, and my my older son was like, "Wait, that's a thing people do?" And I'm like, "Apparently, <laughs> on Mars." On Mars. <laughs> All right. So,
5: what have you guys been reading that you dig and want to talk about? I'm reading the Gargoyle book, which opens me up to so many boner jokes. Okay, what so was with the response
1: jokes. for that? Like you mentioned, I'm, I I quoted you on Twitter, and everyone was like, "Give me the Gargoyle book." Well, name. okay, no, so this,
5: is, this is my theory. Um, you have to be of the right age range to have watched Disney's gargoyles. Do you remember that? TV yes. Series? yes
1: sarah, so
4: sarah
5: I, I, all right i'm, I'm for, old so for a
1: while you, you shut up
4: sarah, you are not that much older than me and Elise. Like six years and older so than you I was... the boys will love it disney's they
5: gargoyles yes it was a tv show and i was like of the right age to really appreciate the fact that it was about a bunch of Gargoyles who'd been like sleeping in their stone form for a long time, and then I don't remember what happened. They woke up in New York City and they were like saving the world from darkness, but they partnered up with a, a woman cop, and there as was, as you do, as you do, and there was a kind of a romantic arc between the lead gargoyle, who was totally a romance hero because he had a mullet, he had no yep. shirt on, yep. and he wore a loincloth. Yep, and I was like middle school age where. Yep the whole bestiality thing wouldn't have entered in, right? It was just like, oh they should they should fall in love, beauty they and the beast totally style. Wait, like two of totally the characters good. from Star Trek The Next Generation did voices.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was this like a subtle Star Trek nerd gasm show?
4: Not that subtle.
1: No. Well Ed Asner was on it too and he was never on Star Trek. How did I miss this 1994 to 1996? I was in college and
4: I. Doesn't okay. matter. Lots of college students watch this show, too. I the did not are- own
1: a television.
4: Oh, whatever. The boys <laughs> will love it. <laughs> Why would you let that stop you? So anyway. It, it was a
1: while before I developed my my, my ways to get around obstacles. That, not having a TV in a car at the
5: time was a big obstacle. So you watched a lot of Disney's Gargoyles. Well, I did when I was, so in 1994, I was 12, right? But, um, no, I so I saw this book on NetGalley, yeah, and I'm yeah, reading it, I'm so and right. <laughs> Gary just got that. Sorry. Um, <laughs> just, Terry just did the <laughs> No, so it's a paranormal Gary, romance, and it's the, he, the fourth book in the series, I guess. I'm reading them out of order now, but the hero is a gargoyle, but he can shapeshift into, like, a hot dude, so that gets around the whole... How do you, you know, like how he's not going to fit in your Kia? He's like ten feet tall and has wings, right? So how the logistics? He can just shape shift into a person.
4: Is Kia, what we're calling it these days.
5: Put on um, um. <laughs> <Ew.
4: laughs>
1: <laughs> So does that mean that someone has a Maxima? <laughs>
4: yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Amanda, we need to edit your Tinder
2: profile. I haven't been on Tinder in a while. That's true. So. That's true.
1: You hooked up with a fine sailor and you're happy.
2: I am very happy.
1: Yay. So. <laughs> so you started reading this out of order, Elise. Yes. And the whole gargoyle thing is working for you.
5: Um, I don't know, I'm not so so what's working for me, what's not working for me. I haven't read a paranormal romance in a long time. So in some ways it's kind of like, Oh, this is new and exciting. Um, but it's very action oriented. So it moves along at a really fast pace, which I like, I didn't like the fact that, so the heroine is, um, Jewish and she speaks a lot of Yiddish, but it's like, kind of like when you read those books who have, uh, Scottish characters and they just put Uh, so much dialect in that it's. It's, like, all the time to the point now where it's becoming distracting. Like, I I get it. I get this sort of thing. See, Yiddish is like
1: saffron. You don't need a lot of it. You just (laughs) drop it in. You don't need, like, every other word.
5: And that's kind of every other word is oy. Um, Yeah. I know people like that, though. (laughs) But, yeah. No, he's a gargoyle who changes into a hot dude and then changes back into a gargoyle. I I assume that dis- have they have have they
1: had sex yet? Because descriptions yeah. of his hardness would probably be pretty intricate.
4: That's the thing.
5: There's no hardness jokes. No rock hard jokes. There, like what? the right. There's there's just it could. There's so many opportunities for boner jokes. So many opportunities for boner jokes. I, mean, I feel they, like, they like they that's
4: a,
1: a a flaw in the world building. I agree. Like, normal humans would make boner r- boner hardness jokes, right? I would
5: think so. Also, I, mean, I think he has a prehensile tail. I mean, shouldn't that enter into the Ooh. story at some point?
3: <laughs> I think it should. Yeah?
1: Right. Yeah. It's like the seeker that comes out from behind the guy's balls. the like, oh, it... you know, <laughs> seeker.
3: <laughs> usually, like, multiple issues here. So, like, one issue is, oh, oh. is the individual reader turned on by prehensile tails? But then the other issue is... If you're going to advertise that your hero has a prehensile tale, you're kind of obligated to deliver on yes. that. Right? And yeah, then it's those are prehensile prehensile tale. we know that's not our book. And if the subset of humanity that is into prehensile tales, they're very happy. Like, but you gotta deliver if you promise that.
5: I, I'm I'm in agreement with Carrie, because if you're reading a book where the hero is a gargoyle, clearly you're in for some kinky shit. And when you read it, right. and you're like, oh, he just turns into a person. You're like, that's false advertising right there.
4: Right. Well, we like, had um, Was it the were shark that did that? Yeah, that was all vanilla. Right. if you want some kinky well the cuttlefish story
3: had the same problem so like on one hand it was like oh thank god the tentacles never came out and then on the other hand it was like okay but then why the tentacles never came out (laughs) if you're going to have them be cuttlefish you better have some tentacles right like otherwise why cuttlefish
1: it's Chekhov's tentacle prehensile tail gun
3: and at least didn't you have like some poor Chekhov (laughs) (laughs) Like <laughs> this is <laughs> not
1: what I meant. If there's like post, if there's like post-mortem sentience in any realm somewhere, Chekhov is just like, Stop <laughs>
4: it! Stop it now.
5: Well, I feel like Lovecraft, who was a notorious homophobe and racist oh. and awful person in general, like he opened the door for I don't know, like 99% of the tentacle porn that's going on right now. Yeah. Congratulations, sir. <laughs> <laughs> always like to imagine,
1: like, you know, when, when a celebrity dies and it's really sad, I'm always sort of like, okay, well, my personal belief is that everyone's heaven is personal. Like, what I think yep. is awesome is different from what you think is awesome. But, like, A, there's got to be, like, the best band ever. And then, like, there's Chekhov and Lovecraft in the corner with their hands over their ears just curled <laughs> up in a little ball <laughs> going, no, 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 that's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm okay
4: with that. I, I have this very entertaining image, which somebody posted on twitter i did not come up with this on my own um that scalia is still sitting down with the founders and they're like no that's not no that's not what we what
1: no no that's wrong too
4: to <laughs> <laughs> oh shit i lost a bet because what? i made it i made a bet with a friend that chuck tingle would have a scalia related book out by last thursday oh. he didn't I don't think so.
1: We need to check on Chuck Tingle. Is he dead in a bed somewhere <laughs> well, with a, I, a pillow on his head? Chuck Tingle has
3: a surprising amount of class. So I don't think he'd go there.
5: He, no, I think he would. You reviewed his book about Starbucks cups, like, anally yeah, raping Starbucks somebody. I don't think he's going no, out of
3: class. It was, it, was, it was actually, I have to say, it was, like, super consensual. <laughs> it was very weird. But I have to say, it was, like, all, like, super happy, consensual. Cup-fucking.
1: Talk fucking
3: like yeah. super like liberal, it was the weirdest thing to me. Like when I'm giving it a grade, I'm like, "How do you grade this?" I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I ended up giving it a B because I said <laughs> it basically it delivered exactly what it promised, and it was genuinely funny on purpose. Like well, there like, you go. Not like badly written funny, like you know, like I can't imagine. There's that many people who want to read that book, but but it, it delivered exactly
4: what it said it would deliver. Oh, bless. Okay, first off, he released a book uh, yesterday that's slammed in the butt by the living leftover chocolate chip cookies from my kitchen cabinet. <laughs> 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 and on February 10th, he released Leonardo DiCaprio finally wins his award and it pounces him in the butt.
1: Of course it does. <laughs> oh, that I I I haven't watched the Oscars in a number of years. One because I'm old and I value my sleep, and two because it's like last year was really bad. This year's even worse when there were so many no- movies featuring people of color and directed by people of color and women worth nominating. They don't do it, and I'm like, okay, you're really insisting that you're irrelevant. I am okay with letting okay, you be irrelevant, and have I'm a gonna post go that to I'm bed. I'm gonna finish
4: this week in which I argue that they are relevant. Well, they're relevant
1: in some ways, but not to me staying up late. Like in my personal world, like like, if you want to argue that hard that you have no value, then I'm going to go to bed. So I don't have to – I'm not going to argue with you that you're valuable when you're not. You go ahead. (laughs) I'm going to go to bed now. So now I'm like tempted to stay up really fucking late because, you know, the best actor award is given out at like 2.30 in the morning Eastern time. And, oh, and, like, stay up wow, and see if 11. there's, like, a little Oscar and then, like, you know, Chuck tingles behind the camera, like, behind the curtain <laughs> on the stage. <laughs> going, yes!
4: Go, go, go! <laughs> I I find myself curiously pulling for Leo this year, and it's a weird position to be in.
1: It's not like he's a horrible human being with nowhere between no. value.
4: No, but the but the poor Leo doesn't have an Oscar meme has been, like so very thorough for so long and now like the best actor field is so boring yes <laughs> it's so boring yes <laughs> and he risked liver disease by eating bear liver vitamin a poisoning according to my mom anyway. vitamin
1: a poisoning
4: yeah well it's, uh, if you eat polar bear liver it's not a thing you should do because you can get vitamin a poisoning from that
1: pro tip
4: bitchery thank don't you eat polar uh, if
1: I stumble into a dead polar bear, I will not immediately feast on its liver. Right. <laughs> the more you know, star. <laughs> All right. red to... Redheaded girl, what are you reading?
4: I am currently in the middle of Magnet.
1: Magnate. Magnate seeing? by
4: Joanna uh, Shoop. Schu- by Joanna Shoup, which is about the Knickerbocker Club. Sorry, I know I got it wrong in the lightning review of Tycoon.
5: Knickerboxer sure. Club is funnier, though.
4: It is funnier, and it rolls off the tongue and off the fingers better. So, Because now I'm picturing them like a bunch of hot guys
5: boxing like in a pugilist club while wearing women's knickers. As you do. Sure.
4: Okay. <laughs> As, yes. Anyway.
1: Are they wearing, um, like, garter belts, too, or is it just the knickers? No, like bloomers. Oh, well, yes, yeah, that would sure. work. Okay. Certainly yeah. a lot good at movement there.
4: Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, I like that it's not, (laughs) it's not Regency. I love the, I say this like every fucking time, but I love the Regency, but I also love leaving the Regency and discussing the various ways in which history has worked beyond just that very narrow 20 years or so that we sort of hang out in a lot. So it's fun. The heroine is actually trying to start her own trading interest on the New York Stock Exchange. Oh, really? She needs to, to, the hero, to sort of front the whole thing because, oh my god, women and money and your, your poor tired little brains will just break. You can't do that. And she's like, I'm better at this than you are. That's where we are at the moment. He has agreed and now everyone's like, why are you hanging out with this dude? He's new money and you're like, not... And she's like, um,
1: the new money thing always cracks me up because I know it was a real thing. And I Mm -hmm. know that there was a genuine, like a genuine problem. But then there's a certain point where I'm just like, when you have no money, isn't any money like better than holding on to this? Oh, you just earned that in the last generation. And my title and absence of fortune have been around for hundreds of years. Like any money is better than no money. Do you people have no sense? I'll take new money. I'll take any. Is it? I don't care if it's crispy or if it doesn't get in the vending machine. I'll take it.
2: <laughs> so whenever there's a conversation about new money and old money, I always remember the Kate Beaton Great Gatsby comic. It's like, you can never be like us Gatsbys. We're old money. Someone asked, well, how old? So old. Old as balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amanda, what are you reading? I am um, have such a horrible reading problem right now. <laughs> I can't decide on what to read, but I'm flipping between two books. One is Jane's Steel, which I'm doing for covers and cocktails in March. So it's kind of like a re-envisioning of Jane Eyre, but the heroine is essentially a serial killer who murders all of these horrible men. As you do. So right up my alley.
4: Down for this,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the other one. So my roommate, we I live in a very publishing centric apartment. Both of my roommates work for publishing houses, and one of them works for Candlewick, which does amazing children's books and I books. Love oh,
1: Candlewick, Candlewick books. I yeah. love them.
2: She like, is the marketing associate. Thanks. So does the dog.
3: Mail is here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is he is the mail, bringing you a book? Honestly, I went to the Candlewick booth at BEA and I squeed at them like a giant idiot. (laughs) They were like, okay,
2: why are you here? Go away now. My roommate frequently creeps on my Goodreads. Um, So when she sees that I've added a book, if it's a Candlewick book, she'll ask if I want it. (laughs) And uh, so she brought home Tyranny of Petticoats for me, which is an anthology, um, I would say YA-centric about kind of – these badass ladies. Um, it's fiction, so they're all made up. Um, but it's a bunch of YA writers. It's so far, I'm about two or three stories into it. It's super depressing. <laughs> um, You'd think the like, tyranny
1: of petticoats would result in some victory.
2: I'm sure there are some like awesome. I mean, so far, the girls I've read about have been amazing. Just so far, their stories haven't been very happy. The first one is about a young black girl who she and her father escaped slavery to become pirates or, like, work on a pirate ship, and she poses as a boy. Um, And the only way – so the pirate ship goes to kind of attack this ship that they think is full of treasure, but it turns out to be a warship. And the only way to get it is if someone can swim and kind of, you know, drill holes into the hull of the boat. And she is the only one that can swim, and so she goes and she does it. And spoiler alert: um, when she comes back to the pirate ship to get back on, the captain won't let her back on the ship, and so she drowns.
1: What? <laughs> I I
2: have questions. What just happened? I have questions. I have many questions. <laughs> and then the second book is about like an Inuit girl. And no, no,
3: wait, 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 wait! I think we still have. I, I think that you just glossed over a question, Sarah. Okay, yeah. So did we miss part of the plot? Why won't the captain let her back on the ship?
2: So they discover she's a girl, one. And then, two, the reason why she agrees to go and undertake, you know, this master plan is because she barters with the captain saying, if I do this, you have to give me, you know, like 60 or 80% of the shares of whatever we get from this boat which means what she's going to give to her father so her father can retire and no longer have to work on this ship. So she goes and she does it and obviously the pirate doesn't want it. The pirate captain doesn't want to give up a bulk of his victory shares to this boy that is obviously now a girl, so he just lets her drown in the ocean instead of bringing her on the ship and like the father can't throw her a rope because he's being restrained by the other pirate crew. It's very sad. Those are horrible books. It's
3: Terrible. so sad. It's so sad. Unless it doesn't I- even make pirate sense because most pirate ships have like a a system for dividing up the spoils that did in fact allow for some haggling so that if you anything that you got went into the general pool But if you were the pirate that specifically got it, you got a bigger share. So it would not be particularly bizarre for somebody to say, well, if I'm going to swim over and drill the holes, I get the biggest share.
2: Well, like if she did this or she didn't do this, they would all die because it was a warship and they probably would have sunk the pirate ship and everyone would have died anyway. Um, But
3: like the idea that that would like, you know, like like piss off the pirate captain is like not necessarily like. That's not a thing.
5: That's never what you think. I like that we just established it doesn't make pirate sense. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> like It like, doesn't! There's well, it regular doesn't sense, cool. and then there's pirate sense. It right, and pirates had
1: rules! Life. Pirates had ju- like rules and ways of... That's why yes. they were so successful.
4: Because the they had the rules.
2: Parlay! Parsnip! Pars- yeah, parsley! Nearly <laughs> this pirate captain... Was, was not a, a fan of well, pirate
3: rules. Are they trying the to age. keep to the fantasy code, motherfucker? That's like historical fiction, because that's like really the difference. If it's fantasy, like romance fantasy about pirates, right? Then so like far, all bets are off.
2: There hasn't if- been any like fantasy stuff, but like I'm looking at the Goodreads genres, and some people like shelved it as steampunk. So I don't know. I'm um, only like two or three stories in. The second one is about like an Inuit girl. Um. Like, people come over to, like, colonize and trade with them, and they murder her family, and now she's running away with a dog sled. Dude, you need to put put this anthology down. (laughs) I'm enjoying (laughs) it. Like, I'm enjoying it, but it's not what I thought it would be so far. I'm sure there are There
1: needs to be rainbow farting unicorns in the next book. Holy (laughs) shit.
2: (laughs) I like it. I mean... I think I feel like an anthology is what I need at the moment because I can't concentrate on anything else. Yeah. Carrie,
3: what's up? Okay, so I reading? just finished last night *Till Death Do Us Part*. It was very normie, and now I just started *Investigating Lois Lane* by Tim Hanley, which fits well with Amanda's anthology in the sense that it's like really depressing and frustrating. It's it's nonfiction examination of how Lois Lane has been portrayed in comics. which is frequently is, you know, not very well. So getting so I could tell I'm going to have to pace myself with that one. But Tim Hanley is a really, really good writer who really knows his stuff. And I I'm like this big drooling fan. He did a book about Wonder Woman um, that I reviewed for the site. That was really good. Um, So it's really well written, but it is really frustrating. But till death to his part. How did you like like it? You've never
1: read Amanda Quick before, have you?
3: i read one when i first started reading romance because she was a big name but i can't remember anything about it and i remember i think i thought it was like okay but this one is like like you know i'm serious like like it has a whole plot line about um uh tear catchers victorian tear catchers so i'm like oh yeah i just like What's give the, it to me now what the fuck is that so okay so it's should be set in the victorian era okay and Calista Langley operates, I'll just read the back, an exclusive introduction agency in Victorian London catering to respectable ladies and gentlemen who find themselves alone in the world. And she finds herself being stalked by this creepy person who keeps leaving um, Victorian mourning artifacts in her house or delivering them to her anonymously with her initials on them. So it's super, super eerie. And she's in this big mansion and that's super eerie. However... She teams up with this guy who writes detective novels and he helps her solve the mystery. Um and it's not is purpose- his name
4: Arthur. What? His name Arthur. Tony? No.
3: <laughs> no, his name is Trent. Thank you very much. And uh but yeah, like that would have been very meta, but it's not that meta. But it is pretty meta because he's writing a series of detective novels and he's just introduced a female character who is just someone who assists his main character on the main character's uh, mysteries, cases. And every and so there's this running joke throughout the novel that every time they meet somebody, you know, he has to introduce himself and he says he's the author of the series of books, right? And then people say, Oh, I love your books, but and all the men he encounters says, But I don't like that new Wilhelmina person. Maybe you should make her the villainous, maybe you should kill her off. You shouldn't spend too much time developing a romance because that's just like, I don't know, it's just too distracting. It slows down the murder. And every time he meets a woman, the woman goes, oh, I'm so glad you introduced Wilhelmina. She's like just such a great character. So just like this running thread throughout. So it's very, um, it definitely like speaks to my soul as a mystery. It's kind of messy. I don't think it's really well constructed. And I felt like it was a little bit anticlimactic in that. I thought Calista would take more of a proactive lead, and instead Trent takes more of a proactive lead. But um, but what's a? It tier definitely catcher? has many aspects I like. What?
5: What's a tear catcher? Yeah,
3: so <laughs> that was the
4: original question. Yeah, oh. I'm confused. A
3: tear catcher is a Victorian thing, and actually, apparently, they had tear catchers like for thousands and thousands of years in different cultures. But a tear catcher is. When someone dies, it's like a little glass tube or or a little glass jar. You let your tears fall into it, and you put a stopper on it. And the stopper is specially designed so that the tears evaporate very slowly. When the tears have evaporated, your time of mourning can end.
5: That's awful.
3: And then you carry it around or you wear it. Well, there was a big, like, the fetish of death was a big Victorian thing. Yeah, I mean, I could, didn't they used oh, to, yeah. like,
5: make jewelry out of dead people's hair and all kinds of creepy shit? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. Like, lots of fetishization, not sexual fetishization, but fetishization of the, the, the dead body and, and body photography and all these different ways that people came up with to find meaning and structure because people died, like, right and left. So, you know, loss was an everyday part of existence and so that's one of the ways they found to cope with it they just came up with this huge variety of rituals elaborate rituals around it
4: also victoria made over the top morning sexy and cool what victoria made over the top ridiculous morning sexy and cool
3: yes yeah, she made it very trendy so yeah and the, and if you if you google <coughs> victorian cheer catchers online i mean they're very beautiful they're They're, you know, they're these elaborate filigreed containers that are really lovely, but, you know, like morbid and sad. So, of course, it's just like, it's just the most Gothic shit imaginable, you know, and you know how I am about Gothic Mm -hmm. shit. I can speak that up. We can't hear. Oh, there you are. I'm here.
1: Okay. Did I fade out? (laughs) No, no, no. That was me. I was on mute and I was talking. I grew up around the corner from Clayton, which was the family home of the Frick family who were, you know, super wealthy and stuff. Mm -hmm. and when I was really little, Henry Clay Frick's uh, daughter Helen still lived there, and people used to be dared to go there on Halloween for (laughs) trick-or-treating because kids, (laughs) yeah, it's how we roll, Yeah. but when Clayton uh, when she died the house was given over to the Pittsburgh thing of historical old buildings that shouldn't have weird things happen to them, and they restored it, now it's a museum, and you can tour it, and you'd see this sort of house as it was when she lived there and then while her parents lived there but he uh, henry clade frick and his wife had four kids and two of them died very young one died as an infant and then he had a six-year-old who died because i think she ate something metal like she ate mm-hmm. like a pin or an earring or something oh. so you go in the house and everything is pictures of martha Every, there's a there's it's he she was on his checks like he would write a check oh and his daughter's picture <gasps> yeah. is on the check like Ooh. everywhere and so the other children grew up in this like giant shrine to the 6-year-old daughter so when you go and tour it you're like whoa so it was more than just like hair and 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 then the you can find like death photographs online of when you oh, see yeah. like one person is super still and the other are blurry, it's because the still one's dead. <laughs> the other two are like humans and you had to stand there for half an hour for the Yeah, they for... would do
3: like pose death photography. So there was there was yep. coffee photography where the person would be laid out and you photograph their face. And the idea behind that was the idea was that when people died, they would look theoretically very peaceful in death. So the idea was their suffering has ended and they've left this earthly plane. So you wanted to remember their unsuffering face, and that was supposed to provide a comfort to you. And then the other kind of photography that's, like, super bizarre that you can, like, Google like crazy is they would pose the body and create a family portrait or a formal portrait as though the body was alive. Right. And that way you keep that person with you. It was like you... You wanted to keep this person with you and the idea that you would be reunited, that your separation was just temporary. So you want to keep them in your mind because you're going to catch up to them later.
5: I, uh, I just had to look at the title, but there's a series of books of historical mysteries set in the Victorian era. The first book is Lady of Ashes by Christine Trent. And the heroine is a, um, well, her husband is like a, a funeral uh, director and she's his assistant but in reality she's really really good at her job and he's just a um kind of a twat waffle and so
4: <laughs>
5: hate the, that right <laughs> and uh she's it's its a really interesting book because it does kind of talk about you get the mystery portion set the victorian era and the historical mystery and the woman protagonist, but it also does weave in kind of how our rituals and our perception of death have changed. So when the book opens, like they're just starting to embalm people or offer that as a service. And most people are really, really that the idea of embalming um, a dead loved one is very upsetting to them. And so they, they don't want to do that. And even just the idea that people usually died in their homes and that the body stayed in the home and the funeral director, uh, mortician came and did their thing and the body stayed in the bedroom or or wherever. And then people came in and, and he had a, um, had a viewing, but no, it's a really interesting series.
1: You know, there's a person I follow on Twitter. Um, I think her last name is Dowdy, but she's a good death. And she's a, a mortician. Oh, and she does a lot yeah. of videos about mortuary science. And one of the things that she's trying to bring back is the idea that if you die at home, your body can stay there. You don't have to go to a funeral home. There doesn't have to be this sort of yeah. transitionary place. Like you can have your, your remains be at home for, you know, a certain amount of time before you're buried. You do not have to remove the body. Nothing bad's going to happen. If, if you call one of these morticians, they'll, you know, make things safe for everybody. And I, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I should really only look at this during the day. I should not look at that at night. Because then she does videos, and I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And, like, the science part of my brain is like, oh,
3: this is great. And then I go to bed, and it's like, whoa, <laughs> shit. Why did I read that? <laughs> well, the, the Bronte cabinet that I reviewed had a really fascinating chapter about Victorian morning customs. And one of the things that it said that I thought was, was really horrible, and also, but also really interesting, because I kind of did the same thing where there's like the human tragedy part of my brain, and there's like the dweeby part of my brain that's like just sort of nerding over it, was that a lot of the Victorian adoration of the dead body had to do with the fact that you were often left with an intact dead body that once you, you could kind of clean it up and it looked sort of okay, right? So two things sort of ended that fad, and one of them was germ theory. Because it started to make people dying look less like an act of God and more like somebody fucked up. So <laughs> it took a lot of the sentiment out of death. And then the other thing that really was, you know, no pun intended, but the nail in the coffin, was World War One, mm-hmm. And that was it for the fetishization of the body because there was no body. Or if there was a body, it, it didn't look, look very it good. It was really fucked it up. It didn't <laughs> look pretty... You were picking it up with spoon, and so that was sort of the the end of the line with that whole, you know, custom thing. Yeah,
4: which it goes kind of back to the mechanization of death, which is what World War One kind of brought us.
3: Yeah,
1: we're still really good, good job, at it world. Too. Yeah, we're really good at that now too. Oof.
3: So between the pirate death and the the Victorian tear catcher,
1: y'all are reading some sad ass scary.
3: shit. But I do have to say, like, this was, this was, like, it was, it was dark enough to feel really gothic, but it wasn't so graphic and terrifying that I didn't want to read it, because I'm very, I'm very fragile. I, uh, I don't like things that are too scary. And generally speaking, this was not too scary. No children in peril, so that was good. I have
5: nope. much girdier Perry. loins than Carrie. You I, you think have, I have,
1: you have, I'm sorry, you have what kind of loins?
5: Is I have one, girdier. Yeah. I have girdier loins than Carrie does. Girdier loins? <laughs> uh, <Is> that- <laughs>
4: it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's
5: not. Do loins have levels of gird? Well, yeah, no, I don't I think, think so.
4: so. No. no
5: I don't have to gird my loins. They're just girded like going right right into the mystery.
4: Like right. I posted in the Pride and Prejudice and Zombie reviews, instructions on how to properly gird your loins yeah, that's and true. what that actually means. So
3: it, it's a clothing issue. Like, do you go to sleep in your
4: gird? You know, like yeah, like girds? You don't. You need your nether regions to air out.
5: Right, you got to air out the misses when you sleep. That's just basic hygiene.
4: Yeah, Sarah's I don't
3: know. A... it <laughs> just busted up. <laughs> I worry about your health if you're if
5: so, really girded. So, Anyway, so I really like mysteries and darker shit, and I just finished The Widow, and it was so good, but I also kind of don't want to talk about it because it was so good, and I want people to go into the book totally cold, but it was so good, you guys. So good. So like, is this of, the
1: kind of thing that once you're like two chapters in, you've
5: already read too much to tell anyone else? Uh, kind of, because it's, it's a book composed entirely of, I think there's five narrators, two primary, but I think like total five. No one is reliable. And so it's one of those psychological mysteries that I really love because um, you don't see the crime happen like you do in a lot of mysteries where it opens up with the crime. So you kind of know what already went down and then it's catching the bad guy or figuring out who the bad guy is. Right. This one, like you don't you don't know what happened. You can't trust anybody who's telling the story. And you keep I think I changed my mind about what really happened probably four or five times through the course of the book. But the Ooh. end was still very satisfying. So it was really good.
1: I have a question about that because you read a lot more of these books than I do. Yes. So there's the whole Gone Girl thing where, oh, my God, this woman wrote this book about this woman and she's horrible. And then we have the girl on the train and now we have the widow. So we have this ambivalent lead female character in in, in mystery thrillers written by women about women, which, you know, this is all very similar, familiar territory to those of us who hang out in romance land. And yet it seems like there is this recurring exclamatory general popular culture. Oh my gosh, this is so amazing and new. And I keep thinking, no, this is not amazing and new. These books are getting a lot of attention right now, but I kind of remember the same motif in books before Gone Girl.
5: Well, I think with Gone Girl and with the Widow, and I haven't finished Girl on the Train yet, so I really can't speak to it. Um Mary Kubica wrote Pretty Baby and yeah, I was thinking the about Good Girl. It. So kind of spoilers for The Widow if you really want to go in cold kind of spoilery. But what they're doing is they're really subverting the trope of the female victim. So like in the respect of um, The Widow, the question that keeps getting raised is her husband is suspected of this crime, her late husband, and they keep pushing in on the you know the the police and the media how could you've stayed with this person if you thought he might have been guilty how how could you've lived with this person and not known what he really was and the author really takes that and turns it on its head and ends it with a big fuck you to everyone who criticized her for staying with the guy that may or may not have been a, a child murderer and you know i think gone girl kind of did that too where it took this whole idea that the cheating husband is always guilty and play that to the, you know, the, the heroine use that um, idea that the, the wife is always the victim or, you know, the, the sort of pretty middle class Caucasian blonde victim that's going to be on Nancy Grace and use that to her advantage to create a whole new life for herself. So I think what it's really doing is it's taking the fact that um, the mystery and thriller genre has really been built on the the idea that women are victims more often than men in the series and flipping it on its head a little bit. And that's why it's so appealing.
1: And it's subverting that right. victimization of women. But it's also revealing a much greater um, malevolence in these characters. Because when you subvert the role that everyone expects you to hold, whether that's the docile wife or the the, the woman who's tolerant of her husband's affairs... When you subvert that, you're revealing a great deal of self-determination and knowledge of how you're perceived and a willingness to hide it and a willingness to do some really dastardly things to get your way within staying beneath that cover. So it's, it's not just like the image that's thrust upon that person. It's the fact that they're aware of it and then they're going to do really, really dastardly shit and get away with it. So there's this sort of malevolence of the female character that's also in these in these stories. And that's the other part that I keep seeing people, oh my goodness, these are so amazing. And I keep thinking, I've seen these before. This isn't new.
5: It's not new, but I think it's really it's highlighting the fact that women are much more complicated than they're often given credit for in these stories. Right. Like you know, like in The Widow, you know, everyone looks at her and thinks she's just this kind of docile housewife who's been sort of emotionally manipulated her whole life. And the story is really, really more complicated than that because she's an actual human being who has a complicated life.
1: Oh, don't be silly. Everyone knows women can only be one thing at a time. right?
5: And the the other thing that they're doing, too, is they are really bringing the media into the mystery, which is, I think, a new trend. So both in Gone Girl and The Widow, the media plays a huge role in the media's perception of the crime and how the media can even impact the investigation and sort of public outcry. And that's huge. And there's two fem- prominent, three prominent female characters in the widow. There's the widow. Um, there's a reporter who's trying to get a story out of her. And then there's the mother of the girl who went missing. And at points in this story, they're all very heavily criticized because of the things that they've done. You know, the widow for staying with her husband, the mother, she wasn't a good enough mother. She wasn't paying attention while, well, you know, she let her daughter play outside unsupervised. That's why she got kidnapped the reporters kind of portrayed as being you know like a bloodthirsty soulless person and it's very critical of just taking that snap judgment of people and saying oh this is all that they are and it shows that it's it's infinitely more complex than that
1: see i'm glad you can read these things because i cannot i'm fascinated
5: by them but this is not shit that i
1: can allow to enter into my brain There's not no.
0: I can hear you saying, wait, wait, no, no, there must be more. There is next week. I quiz all of the bitches evilly with evil questions about romance novels, and it's totally evil, so you should totally tune in next Friday because, well, that's when it's going to be um, released, right? Totally. This podcast was brought to you by Lexi Callahan. Author of the sexy contemporary romance series The Self-Made Men Southern Style, set in New Orleans, all 3 books are available through Kindle Unlimited. Book 3, The Fall of the Red Queen, has just been released. Red Hot Book says if you like your heroines tough, sexy, and powerful, then Madeline will own you as easily as she owns Jared. The podcast transcripts are compiled by Garlic Knitter who has her hands full with these two episodes. I'm sorry Garlic Knitter. This podcast transcript is sponsored by Jessica Corey, author of The Forbidden Wish, published by Penguin Young Readers and available in print and ebook. She is the most powerful Ginny of all. He is a boy from the streets. Their love will shake the world in this dazzling retelling of Aladdin like you've never imagined. Available now. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is a band called Sketch, and this is from their album Shed Life. This track is called Bulgarian Shed. There's a lot of sheds on this album of different types, but all of them are good. You can find it on Amazon or iTunes or wherever you buy your music. I will have links to all of the books that we discussed, including all the super awesome, strange ones we mentioned, as well as links to some of the things that we mentioned, such as Tear Catchers, The Good Death, and Kate Beaton's awesome Great Gatsby comic. You can find all of that at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. But in the meantime, on behalf of Amanda, Elise, redheaded girl, Carrie, and myself and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week.